this morning. Y'all enjoy being in the presence of God with your church family this morning. Uh, I, I love it. I um, want to thank everybody for being here. Um, last week we started a series called, Who Does God Bless? And we talked about the one who feels unworthy of God's blessing. We, we, and if you, if you missed that, you, I want to invite you to go back and listen to the podcast. You can find that at catalystchristian.com. And uh, you can download our podcast and listen. To, we, we podcast all our sermons. And so you can uh, listen with that. This is, today is part two, which is a different type of message than I'm used to preaching. Let, just letting you all know. What we're talking about today is not something that you hear in church as much. We've edited out this topic out of churches in America, and it's not been good for us. It was done with good intentions, but it has had terrible effects. Today, we're talking about who does God bless? It's the one that fears God. Um, If you do a study of ancient writings back in the early days of Christianity and even up through the 12th, 13th, 14th century, there was ample use of the word fear. There was ample use of the blessing that fearing God is, uh, that happens. And then as we have moved into uh, the, the last several centuries and even the last several decades, we have moved away from that language. The reason it was done was in the 90s, there was a movement called the seeker-sensitive movement. We've talked about it before. The intention of the seeker-sensitive movement was good. It was, we, we, uh, there, there are a lot of barriers that people have between, uh, between them and God. We want to remove as many as possible. We want, to, we want to make people feel comfortable in church so that they'll come and they can hear the message of the gospel. And so the whole 90s seeker-sensitive movement sought to remove things from Christianity that might be potentially offensive. That, that's when churches stopped having crosses because no one wanted to hear about some guy being crucified. We stopped talking about hell. We stopped talking about fearing God. We stopped talking about all these things in an attempt to get people into the church. Well, that was an unmitigated disaster because now we have churches full of people that have no idea about the cross, no idea about hell, no idea, no, no, uh, have no idea what Jesus saved them from, why the sacrifice on the cross is necessary, and no fear of God. Well, uh, I remember sitting in church and hearing the pastor during the children's sermon refer to God as a teddy bear. I remember that. Uh, Now, when you're talking to kids, you want to be a little sensitive. You don't want to yell at them about how they're going to hell. I mean, I understand that. But the problem was, once he dismissed the kids and they left, his sermon for adults wasn't all that much different. And and, uh, despite the references to the fear of God in Scripture, you hardly hear any reference to it in church today. Um, we don't hear much about the fear of God in modern worship songs. We really don't. Uh, we don't hear anything about the fear of God in sermons and literature, any, anything really. Yet, but if you look about what, what Scripture says in Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 28-14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but who hardens their heart falls into trouble. Um, This is something that we need to understand here. We need to bring the language of the fear of God back into the church. We really do. We need to bring it back in because it is essential to us. And it's essential to God's blessing. The first thing is this. The Bible portrays the fear of God positively. I don't know 
they're not. um, If you go through the Bible and you look up fear of God, it's always a good thing. It's never showing people getting annihilated. It's it's a good thing. Psalm 112.1 says this, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Now, why is it blessed to fear someone? Well, we need to change our thinking around. God bless those who fear him. Why? Well, this is why. Sometimes we forget the majesty and the awesomeness of God. We do. We forget how awesome and majestic and powerful he really is. Because of the, the emphasis on Jesus being a man, and, and uh, that's who God who we could see and touch and, and, and everything. And that's great because that's a part of God. But the part of God we tend to forget is the judge, the majesty, the one who created all of this by the words of his mouth. So I'm gonna, I'd like to bring a little perspective this morning. I want to start off uh, by talking about a guy named Job. A guy named Job forgot how majestic God was and uh, how big and awesome he was. And God spent four chapters in the book of Job, four whole chapters of the Bible, asking, God, asking Job questions like, when I formed the earth. Where, can you control lightning, God asked Job. Can you create life? Can you create stars and heavens and war horses and sea creatures and all of these things? It's found in the book of Job, chapter 38-42, if you want to know. Let's get some perspective on God because God is asking us those questions too. Uh, right, right here. I, I want to start off with our neighborhood. This is our neighborhood. Uh, not, not yet. Go back. Go back. Back. This is our neighborhood. This is where we live. Um, those of you that don't know, that's North America, and we are somewhere around that little bank of clouds there, if you know where Kentucky is. That's, that's where we are right there, okay? And so that's kind of our neighborhood. And, and if you've ever been to the beautiful scenes, the beautiful places of creation on earth, you know that they are, they are, they are breathtaking. It's amazing. But, but I, we need to get a little bit more of a perspective here. So that's the, everybody got that? That's, that's where we are. Okay, can you see yourself? We're, we're, we're kind of small, kind of tiny. We can't even really see our city um, of Nicholasville. <clears throat> that doesn't show up on most earth maps. Doesn't show up on most maps, any map. But anyway, all right, so we move on out, and, and, and this, is our, this is not just our neighborhood. This is our kind of community here. This is known as the solar system. We, we have eight planets. When I was in school, it was nine planets because... Poor Pluto, right? Poor Pluto. Uh, how many of y'all think we have nines? How many thinks Pluto is a planet? Good. Love for Pluto. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. All right. But we got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and then out there is Pluto. Um, we are a, we're not even the biggest planet in our solar system. We, um, the distance between the Earth and the Sun, 93 million miles. It takes light which travels at 186,000 miles per second, nine minutes, between eight and nine minutes, to get to us, okay? That's how long it takes. So if the sun went out, we would have about eight minutes before everything broke loose, okay? All right? So that, that's a big distance, 186,000 miles per second. That's faster than my wife drives on, on Nicholsville Road, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's pretty fast. That's moving pretty fast. Now, now... We need to get a little bit more perspective to get, in, get, get our minds around this awesome God who creates all this. The nearest star to us other than the sun. Does anyone know what the nearest star to us is other than the sun? 
Alpha Centauri, exactly. Very good. The closest star to us in our galaxy is Alpha Centauri, and it is 4.367 light years away. That's the, it's the one on the left there. The one on the right there is, is the planet Venus. That one right there on the left, that is the closest star to us. Take light four years, 4.3 years to get there. If you're traveling at the speed of light, it'll take you 4.3 years to get there. That's the closest star to us, you all. All right, but, but, and, and, and that's, that's really cool. But we got to move out a little bit further, you guys. Let, let's take a look at this is, this, is our, this is our city. I guess this is our nation, the next one here. This is known as the Milky Way Galaxy. See, it is more than a candy bar. I knew it. Okay, this is the Milky Way galaxy, and this is where we live. This is where we live. This is our galaxy. This is us. Okay, here is some stuff about our galaxy. It is composed of over 200 billion stars. 200 billion stars. It is an average-sized galaxy, and it would take 100,000 light years to travel from one side to the other. 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light to travel across it, all right? And if you ever get lost, here's a handy map to show where we are. There we are, right there, okay? Just in case you get lost, that's where we are. We're hanging out. We're not even at the middle of the galaxy. We are on the fringes of it, and, uh, and, and our galaxy is spinning, and it is in a protected little cove that if we were somewhere else in the galaxy, life would not be possible, just letting you know that. Astrophysicists have, have proved that, all right? So, but we got to move out. That's just our galaxy. We need to move out a little bit further to get a perspective on this awesome God who said it's blessed when we fear him. The, the, moving out, the closest spiral galaxy to the Milky Way is known as the Andromeda Galaxy. Andromeda Galaxy. It is more than 2 million light years away. 2 million years. Travel the speed of light would take you to get there. This is, this is what it is, right? That, that's it. It looks a lot like the Milky Way. We're kind of cousins, I guess. All right? It is 220,000 light years across and composed of nearly one trillion stars. We can't even fathom these numbers, you guys. We can't even fathom these numbers. And that's the closest one to us. Science, scientists estimate that there are more than 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. Each with billions, if not trillions, of stars in them. Moving out. And what's amazing to me is that Scripture tells us that God knows every star's name. He calls the stars by name. We say that's Alpha Centauri. He goes, no, that's Bob. <laughs> God's power and awesome majesty are on display to us every night, every day, every second, every minute. When you consider the vast power of God to create and sustain and maintain the universe, that he knows the names of literally trillions of stars, yet knows the number of hairs on your head and knows you intimately. 
He knows your struggles. He knows your pain. He knows your joys. He knows your, your gladness. Oh, yeah, we need to be fearing. This is not a God to be taken lightly. He did all of this, the Bible says, to display his glory. He is so great, grand, and awesome that he had to create an entire universe simply to display his glory. This is the one we neglect, we trivialize, we thumb our noses at, we disobey. Maybe having fear is simply realizing the awesomeness and the majesty of God who could do this. Realizing he's so much bigger, so much more grand, so much more powerful, so much more amazing than we would tend to think otherwise. This is why scripture says that those who fear God are blessed. We can't even comprehend his creation. How can we comprehend him? We can't even take on his creation. Why would we take him on? No, we're blessed when we sit back in wonder and in awe and in fear of this amazing God who creates all this and still thought us worthy of going to the cross to die for. Never forget that. See, guys, the Bible portrays the fear of God positively. Psalm 128.1 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. But we have to be careful. See, Pastor John Piper states this incredibly well in his book, When I Don't Desire God, because this is where some people have gone with their fear in the wrong place. Check this out. He writes this, If Christ is only because his gifts are great and his threats are terrible, glorified by his followers. A defective Lord can offer great gifts and terrible threats. Uh, and a person may want the gifts and fear the threats and follow a lorm who they despise or pity or find boring or embarrassing in order to have the gifts and avoid the threats. If Christ is to be glorified in his people, in us, their following must be rooted not mainly in his promised gifts or his threatened punishments, but in his glorious person that's on display I just showed you. Oh, it is true that greater are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight them, Psalm 111, 2. I do not minimize the joy of seeing the Lord, he writes. But his works are great because they point us to the Lord himself as our highest delight. The faith that honors Christ is the faith that sees and savors his glory in all his works, especially in the gospel. It's always a positive thing in scripture to fear the Lord. The second thing I want to tell you is that the fear of God is essential to wisdom. Wisdom. We are to, we are to seek and pursue wisdom in all our lives. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's a question. We just talked about the universe. Let's bring it home to us. I just have a simple question for you. Who is the cause of your worst problems in life? Not all your problems. But your worst problems, we all know who that is. It's not your friends. It's not your family. It's us. We are the cause of our worst problems. How many of us look back at our lives and say, what was I thinking about several things we've done? What was I thinking? That was so stupid. Sometimes... Uh, you point to something idiotic that you did, something that you're paying for now, maybe very sinful. Maybe you're going to be paying for it for a while because of something stupid that you did. Well, did you know better? Most of the time, yes, right? Most of the time, we know better. Now, I want to ask you this question. Was there any fear of the Lord 
when you did that? Is there any fear of the Lord that went into that decision or that action? Any thought of the consequences? Any thought of what bad could happen? Um, what if, and just what if, you really considered that God was watching? That God's commands were there for a reason, etc.? Would you still have done it? Probably not, right? Although some of us are really that stupid, and the only way we learn things the hard way, praise God for his grace and mercy, amen? But this is why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because when we fear the Lord, we avoid so many of these stupid mistakes that destroy us in life. We are our own worst enemies. And when we have no fear of God, no respect for his ways, we disobey his ways. It leads us to nothing but trouble. And I'm here as a 45-year-old guy telling you that there is no way better than the Lord. No way. You can try to find it. Wasting your time. As I wonder if the writers of Proverbs, Solomon, when he's looking back at the wasteland he'd made of his life and that was realizing that had there been fear of God in his life, he wouldn't be looking at a wasteland. He'd be looking at a blessed life. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff going on politically in our nation's capital. I don't know if y'all know that or not. I don't know if any of y'all live under rocks and don't know that. I'm not here to make commentary on any particular party. But I am here to make commentary on what I see as a problem. There's all kinds of stuff going on in Washington. Corruption, crimes. It's been going on for a long time. It's really come to light in the last 11 years. I think we would all agree. And brazenly, we have people running this country that commit crimes brazenly. We had a secretary of the treasury that owed $1.4 million in taxes. This guy that's in charge of the treasury owes $1.4 million in taxes. No prosecution, no jail time, nothing. You and I owed that much, it'd be in jail. People over Washington that, that were committing crime after crime after crime brazenly. And why were they doing it? I'll tell you why. Because they know that nothing will happen to them. They're above the law, it seems. They don't fear judge. They don't fear jury. Shoot, they don't even fear getting voted out because we send them back. The reason the meme Epstein didn't kill himself was popular is because it was targeted towards one person that never, ever is held accountable. I want you to think about that. Why do they act this way? Are they any more evil or sinful than you and me? No. They just know that they'll get away with it. And so they act accordingly. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of criminal prosecution because they're above it. Like a person with diplomatic immunity can do whatever they want in the country. They don't have to obey the laws of the country. They can just break them all because they have diplomatic immunity. Well, guys, I'm here to tell you a lot of Christians, a lot of people in America think that too. They have diplomatic immunity in this world. They can do whatever we want and no, nothing will ever happen to us. That's where we are a lot of times as people. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of hell. 
And therefore we act in such terrible ways that destroy ourselves and destroy our communities and destroy our families because we do not fear God. It's a very unwise way to live. Terrible, terribly unwise way to live because whether you fear God or not, his judgment is coming. And when you realize that, when you think about that, when you, that is in the forefront of your mind, all of a sudden you begin to behave very, very differently. You begin to behave very wisely. You begin to avoid things that would destroy you because they're wrong. You begin to avoid treating people terribly because it's not what God would want me to do. And I fear him. So I will live as a man who, or a woman who will face accountability. And when you know you will face accountability, that's when you begin to live wisely. That's why the Bible says the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing that you will be held accountable for everything, for every word, every deed, every thought, every look. Knowing that you'll be held accountable may, leads you to living extremely wisely. And when you live wisely, you live a very blessed life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I found this, that when you fear God, you don't fear people. But when you fear people, you don't fear God. I saw, I sent myself um, an email about a story that I saw. It was a story, an amazing story, about the Titanic. It's one of the unsung stories. There was a pastor, I can't remember his name. He was on the Titanic. He had a six-year-old daughter with him. And as the Titanic began to he placed his daughter on the lifeboat. He could have easily gotten on the lifeboat. He placed his daughter in the lifeboat and said, I will see you again someday. And then he ran into the crowd and began preaching about Jesus. He, he went from person to person. Are you saved? Anyone that said no, he would say, into the lifeboats now. He was heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. When the Titanic began to tip up and it was going, going down, he jumped like many into the water. And despite freezing cold, despite knowing that he was going to die, he swam to people and asked them, do you know Jesus Christ? If they said no, he would ask them, are you ready? And he would baptize them. He saved many, many people's souls that day. One of the survivors, an unsaved man, was on a floating desk or a table. And he, he said, this pastor came up to me. And he said, do you know Jesus? He said, no. He said, he, he told me what was about to happen. And I said, get away. So he swam away to someone else and began sharing Christ with them. And he's the man he was a survivor he said I thought about it and thought about it some more so I called him back he said by the time the man reached me he said he was almost dead and he could barely talk 
And the guy said, Pastor, I need, I need Jesus. And his last prayer was for this man's soul. As he slipped into the water, the pastor shouted, Repent and turn to God. And he died. When you fear God, you don't fear people. When you fear people, you don't fear God. Jesus told us not to fear people who can kill us. And after that, do no more. He said, rather, fear him who after the body has been killed can destroy both body and soul in hell. Luke 12, 5. The problem is, I think that unless this is a very, very, very different church, which you guys are, you're awesome. But I would say there's more fear of people than of God in this room. They're afraid of what people might think, afraid of what people might say, afraid of what people might do if we were to act like we feared God. I want to ask you to live as a person who knows God, who knows that, what, that God sees all, and who knows that we will all be held accountable. There was a man, last man that Jesus spoke to. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. One on his right, one on his left. Both thieves had requests for Jesus. The one said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He wanted life in this world. And when Jesus didn't do it, he began hurling insults and mocking him, taunting him. But the other thief, the other thief told him to shut up. He said, don't you fear God, he shouted to the other thief. Isn't that amazing that that's what he said? Don't you fear God? Because we're about to go see him. We're here justly, the thief said. We're here justly, but we're getting what our deeds deserve. Listen, man, we're guilty. No, we got caught red-handed. We're thieves. We're getting everything that we deserve. This guy right here, this guy has done nothing wrong. Even a thief knows innocence when he sees it. Even a thief knows, even knew that Jesus' death was a political stunt waged by those in power. And then he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus looked at him and said, Today I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. See, both thieves had requests. The one didn't fear God. He asked for earthly life, fear of God in his life. The other one didn't ask for life in this earth. He said, Lord, I want eternal life. I just want to be with you. So the question is, which thief are you today? Do you fear the people around you? Or do you fear God? Because the way you answer that question is going to radically affect how you live. It will radically affect your prayer life. It will radically affect your priorities in life. It will radically affect everything. Give me a church of 200 people that fear nothing but God. 
and sit back and watch what that church is capable of doing. Ones that don't fear the powers of political correctness, don't fear the taunts or the insults or the threats of people, who don't fear poverty, who don't fear war, who don't fear whatever. They only fear God. What would that church be capable of doing? Do you think it's possible, church, to become a Christian without the fear of God? Or is the fear of God the beginning of your walk towards him? The Apostle Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear of God is a huge part of our salvation, of knowing him. That's where it starts, the Bible says. It certainly was for the thief. And could it be that the lack of fear of God, this awesome God who created everything that you see and yet knows you by name, those number of heads, hairs on your head is sustaining you by his good pleasure, is keeping your heart beating, keeping breath, none of which we deserve. Could it be that the fear of such a God is what will lead you to the best thing you've ever encountered? I found that to be true. And could it be the lack of fear of God is what's causing the lukewarmness and ineffectiveness of so many people who call themselves Christians? I want to suggest, church, that we bring the language and the concept and the belief and the fear of God back into the church because it's a blessed thing and we are not better for having edited it out. So my question, who do you fear? You fear people? Well, you're not going to fear God. Fear God? Well, you're not going to fear people. Give me a church full of people who fear nothing but God and sit back and watch what the church is capable of doing. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for, I guess, baptizing the word fear because so many of us in here think the word fear is a negative thing. It's terrible. Something to run from. But God, your will, your word says that fear is a positive thing because that's how we begin to live as you want us to live, in fear of you with fear of nothing else. Lord, I pray that each person in here would chase after the wisdom that you want us to have, would be pursuers of lifelong wisdom. But we have to, have, we have to fear you in order to do it. So Lord, I pray. Pray for this church, this wonderful church, which has been such a blessing to me and to this community and to the people in here. Lord, may we begin to fear you as the Bible tells us to, fear you, worship you in reverence and in awe because you are so amazing. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. It's a heavy topic, you It's a heavy topic. But remember that it is the one that God blesses is the one who fears God. All right? Just remember that.